Have you ever been maybe at a party or even on a Sunday and you've come upon a piece of cake that's had some slices taken out, but it's not completely 90 degrees yet, not completely 180 degrees yet, and you're like, oh, I'll just have that little piece, that little sliver right there. Um, I mean, it might be an excuse to eat cake, which is fine. We all have those. Uh, but I think there's also something about the idea of something being right or something being completed that makes us feel kind of good. I mean, I was trimming the back garden yesterday, and uh, after I finished it all, there was like this one blade of grass like flapping in the wind, mocking me. Kind of like, ha ha. And if, if I would have left that, I mean, it would have been fine. But I just didn't, something I mean, it didn't feel right. It's like it wasn't, I didn't finish the job until that thing was done. Um, Evans, as you guys probably have experienced that some DIY stuff. I'm kind of like, yeah, we've done it, but it's not quite like finished. It was like the whole house. Yeah, yeah that's right. That's right. So there's like something where it's not it's not complete yet. Um, I mean, we don't like things that are incomplete. I mean, it's like the last chord of a song. We're attracted to what's finished, what's done, what what is finally complete. Um, we and we believe that the world should be complete. That the world should be whole. And when we experience the opposite, we know that things aren't right. It makes us like, not feel good inside. Our world is full of unfinished things. And that's basically what injustice is. Injustice is an incomplete action aspect of justice. It's an unfinished aspect of justice. So like a brief example of how that might apply. There are people who still in our day, because of how they identify sexually, will be harassed, will be assaulted, and will be put out of their homes, will be ostracized by churches. You know, this is not the way things are supposed to be. We're, people shouldn't feel that way, especially when it comes to the home and to the church. And that's injustice. It's not, it's not a finished feeling of something that's, that's just. This world is not finished. It has lots of incomplete parts. You know, all of us have experienced loneliness. Whether you're married or single or kids or no kids, like, it, it doesn't matter. Like, none of those things really make loneliness go away. That's always going to be part of us. You can have lots of people around and still feel lonely. Loneliness is being incomplete in the area of relationships. Because there's a, a lack of, of finishedness, of completeness. We're not made to be alone, and that's why loneliness is so hard. But in a full world, in a whole world, loneliness wouldn't exist. But we know that's not the kind of world we live in. We live in an incomplete world. Things aren't right. It's not the way things are supposed to be. Now, what happens when you are in that lonely place and someone comes along and seeks to be present with you and wants to know about you and is asking questions about you and is just like present, hanging out with you? You're lifted out of it. You don't, no longer feel that incompleteness. You're getting a glimpse of what being complete could be like. Now, this completeness, this wholeness, this fullness, that's what holiness is. Holiness is a completeness, a wholeness. And when that's experienced, life is satisfying. I think the reason why we don't think about wholeness or holiness very much is because it's a very kind of religious sounding word that we only talk about at church. Um, but if holiness is a wholeness, it can't just be pigeonholed to some like small religious area of your life. It must be all encompassing. It can't just be a small little section. And in these verses that Josh read, Jesus is demonstrating what holiness is like, what it looks like when he comes into contact with the world that isn't yet whole. He's showing us what wholeness looks like when bearing down on an incomplete world. And this is the kingdom of God, a place where wholeness is experienced, where people are content, where people experience healing. So if you are struggling with the incompleteness of this world, and I think we probably all are, I think these verses are great news. Jesus is creating a community 
where he generously gives his wholeness to us. Who wouldn't want to be a part of this? But if you've only known things a certain way, when new things come along, it can kind of be a bit jarring. And we think that that's how things should be just because we experience it that way. We experience things as incomplete forever, like, oh, that's just how it is. It's like uh, trying to shove a cassette tape into a CD drive. It's like, I don't know, it doesn't work. You miss out. Of course, I realize these are two technologies that are completely obsolete, basically, at this point. Um, But not understanding the thing itself, you miss out on the benefits of what they can bring. And Jesus here is teaching about the kingdom of God uh, as he's explained it in verse 15, which we talked about last week. Jesus says, the kingdom of God has come near, repent and believe the good news. And so he talked about that in, in those previous verses. And now in these verses, 21 through 45, we see what that looks like in action. Uh, and what's funny is it's so surprising and so new that people just don't seem to get it. And the reason why this is written for us today is so that we won't miss it. So that we'll get in and get stuck into this wholeness that our king is bringing. So let's not be like the uh, other human beings in these verses and basically completely miss out on what Jesus is doing. Because we know that the only hope for wholeness is found in Jesus and the kingdom that he's bringing. So the three kind of areas we're going to focus on, the three kind of mini stories that Mark quickly walks us through are um, the spiritually oppressed, the sick, and the outcasts. And um, you have them on your little sheet if you want to check it out. Um, Wholeness for all these three kinds of of stories. Wholeness for the spiritually oppressed, wholeness for the sick, and wholeness for the outcasts. And by ourselves, we're powerless under these areas. (coughs) And we can't help by ourselves to stay incomplete. It's just kind of how we are as humans. We need someone else to bring this wholeness. And so Jesus doesn't just talk about and teach about wholeness. He's active and he's bringing it. And he's demonstrating what it looks like. Um, so let's first look at this, what happens with the spiritually oppressed. Uh, where the spiritually oppressed become whole in Jesus' kingdom. And this is in verses 21 through 28. And just a quick uh, preamble. An advantage to go through a book the way that we're doing, going through Mark 1 through 8, or at least part of a book, is that we don't get to skip over things that might be weird. Uh, preaching on like a demon-possessed guy would not be like my first choice of text, but it's here. Mark wants us to know, and it's good for us to know. It's good for us to get involved. Um, normally, I would kind of maybe be a bit afraid of it or be weird or awkward about it, um, but uh, Mark wants us to know about it, so we should know about it. And if you kind of struggle with the idea of there being a spiritual world like this existing, I mean, we don't really come in contact with this in daily life, or we don't feel like we do anyway. Um, before we wipe off the possibility of demons existing at all, know that most people who are alive today and most people who have lived throughout all of history believe in some kind of spiritual world, some kind of spiritual realm. (coughs) So to not believe in that world actually puts you in the minority, in a really small minority. Well, then you might think, ah, but the people who believe in that kind of spiritual realm are just like not educated or they don't have like technology or things like this. And of course you say that to yourself. You wouldn't say that out loud because you'd come across maybe as, you know, a horrible colonial kind of mindset kind of thing. Well, we in the westernized world are not in a better place for our lack of belief in the spiritual world. Like, we're just not. We're all the more poor for it. And I think that's one thing maybe we can learn from those in the majority world, believing that the spiritual world exists and not just when we read it and a weird thing and move on. Um, So let's dive into the story. The story starts with Jesus teaching in the synagogue, kind of like what Sundays are for us. Um, People are amazed at this teaching because it's unlike anything they've ever heard, unlike their own spiritual leaders, and they also say he has authority. And again, he would have authority because he's the king, what we talked about last week. Uh, People are amazed. 
Uh, they're overwhelmed by the way Jesus is teaching. They can like barely handle it. They can barely wrap their minds around it. A, a good way that a commentator described this word was um, they were excited and alarmed. It's like excitement and alarmed because like, whoa, we've never heard this before. And this is exciting, but also a bit scary. Then in the middle of this service, there's a man there so taken over by evil spiritual forces, he has basically ceased to be himself. He's not himself. He's not in control. This man cries out in front of everybody, causing a big kind of ruckus probably. Uh, and really what happens is actually the spirit is using the man as his mouthpiece, trying to get into a fight with Jesus. Look at verse 24. It's like, what do you want to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? This is like uh, spiritual like chest thumping, kind of like, what are you, you don't need to mess with us. Like, go on, do your next thing. Um, and then they call him the Holy One of God. I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Uh, using someone's real name, like the Holy One of God, uh, was an attempt to control somebody. It was supposed to be this idea that if you knew their true name and who they really were, then you can control them and they would like kind of be under your power a little bit. But Jesus uh, does not seem to be phased at all because Jesus can't be controlled without using any kind of spell or incantation or kind of like kind of Jedi mind trick thing. Um, but just by his voice alone, the man is himself again. And the spirit that was inflicted him, that was inflicting him, left. By six words, Jesus uses, that has enough power to dispel any evil force. This man was not himself and was himself just after those six words that Jesus said. Again, the people here are amazed. They're overwhelmed. Again, there's excitement with alarm. If I saw that, I would probably be a little bit alarmed and also kind of like, what's going on here? Do I stay? I don't know. What's going on? It's exciting to see this, but scary. And so with this story, verses 21 through 28, what happens when the Holy One of God comes into contact with an impure spirit? That's the way that um, the newer NIV translates it. Impure. So we have holy and impure. Complete and incomplete. When wholeness meets that incompleteness. The impure spirit was expecting some kind of fight. A match. You know, they started using fighting words. But there's no match. Jesus just says it and the thing happens. So Jesus has the power to bring wholeness to all places, including the spiritually oppressed. It's kind of like um, water purification tablets. I don't know if you guys have ever used those when you went camping. You have um, a small tablet like this size, like really super small, can basically make a whole liter of water clean. So if you get some water and you're like, you're not sure if it's clean or not, you drop the tablet in and in some amount of time it, you can drink it. Um, the chemicals in the tablet, what they do is they deactivate all the harmful bacteria that might be in that water and makes it okay to eat. So when that tablet is dropped in, all the impurities, all the things that are harmful to us are basically destroyed and they leave the water pure. And this is what happens when Jesus' wholeness comes into contact with all that isn't. Jesus, like in his baptism that we learned last week and in these stories that we're learning about this week, plunges himself into our world and makes it whole, makes all that brokenness whole. Makes the impure spirit that was afflicting this man, now this man is made pure, made whole. So he, he uh, works supernaturally. But then also in verses 29 through 34, we see very kind of natural thing. So we see spiritual oppression in verses 21 uh, through 28, but now verses 29 through 34, we see uh, physical um, brokenness where the sick become whole. And in the, whether in the spiritual realm or the physical realm, Jesus has the power to bring his wholeness. 
And right after this synagogue teaching, Mark, as a super fast kind of storyteller, whisks us away to uh, the home of Simon, Simon's mother-in-law. Simon is also Peter that you learn about later. And we have a smaller group of disciples who are here. They tell Jesus about Simon's mother-in-law. She has a fever. She can't even come down. She's kind of stuck in bed. She's bedridden. And all Jesus did was he went to her, took her hand, lifted her up, helped her up. That was it. Jesus didn't even use any words here. He's just there and touched her. The way this story is told is like so nonchalant, so kind of unassuming. It's almost kind of laughable. It's like, oh, this person was really sick. And then Jesus came in and touched her. And then the person wasn't sick anymore. Like, what? That's crazy. Some like a very kind of uh, unobtrusive miracle that's happening here. It's so unpretentious. And yet what it demonstrates is a power that's so big, so strong and so loving that Jesus would have power over something like this. So Peter's mother-in-law was experiencing a lack of wholeness in her health. And Jesus gave her the gift of that wholeness there. Now, all of a sudden, all sorts of people hear about this. Of course they would. If that happened here, like, I don't know, like this person was sick and now they're not anymore. Um, everyone would probably be freaked out and Facebook would be going crazy. Um, now the whole town, it says, is at this house. The whole town in verse 33 gathered at the door. Everyone is crowding in. Jesus is bringing wholeness in such a way uh, to really to wherever it's lacking. People who have spiritual problems, people who have physical problems, doesn't matter. And it seems like Jesus isn't really caring at all about uh, are they believing, are they repenting and believing the good news that he talked about in verse 15? We don't know. Um, it doesn't seem like Mark is caring too much here. Jesus is like healing. And it's not even, I mean, we're like in the middle of the first chapter here and Jesus is already a local celebrity But he withdraws, which I think is interesting. So why is he a celebrity at this point? Is it because people are responding to the thing that he wanted them to respond to? Verse 15 said he's talking about the good news of the kingdom. Is that why people are drawn to him? Or is it because he's some kind of miraculous faith healer that's just getting them what they want? The kingdom of God is coming and Jesus is asking people to realign their lives with God so they won't miss this kingdom of God. So why does Jesus withdraw? In verse 35, it says, Very early in the morning while it was dark, he got up, left the house, went to a solitary place. Well, maybe it's because people don't understand. Jesus isn't here for just to relieve discomfort, although in his compassion he is doing that. It's not his, his point of being here on the earth. It's a new kingdom that's coming. People don't understand the king, and they don't understand the kingdom. The demons seem to have got it. The demons are like, I know exactly who you are. I know exactly what you're doing. Jesus obviously knows what he's doing. The people don't seem to care at all or aren't talking at all about this kingdom, this, mad, this um, great, awesome thing. So when encountering a problem, uh, maybe you've wondered if it's more physical in nature, more like spiritual things are going on. Sometimes it's hard to understand. Sometimes we will never actually kind of understand what's going on. In one sense, uh, it doesn't really matter that much. Especially if we're wondering, how are we going to help this person? How, how are we going to pray? Are we going to pray for them to be physically healed? Or is there like spiritual things going on? Um, it doesn't really matter that much. And we don't always know. We probably, probably rarely know. But we do know that either situation or whatever all the possibility of situations, Jesus is king over all of those. And we can come to him and pray about healing for all of it. Now in uh, Simon, Simon's mother-in-law's situation, he doesn't even need to use words. He just holds her hand, lifts her up, and she's whole again. So whether spiritual problems, Jesus' wholeness liberates us from our oppression. 
That man that Jesus healed, who had the spiritual problem, was oppressed. He wasn't himself. And Jesus gave him back the gift of his own personality. And whether it's physical problems, which, I mean, this person was bedridden, Jesus' wholeness heals us from our sickness. Now, sometimes, like the spiritually oppressed man, our problems will bring us to Jesus. Like, sometimes we'll just be at, like, a a low. We just have to bring ourselves to God. And sometimes, though, like in Simon's mother-in-law's situation, um, she wasn't able to bring herself to Jesus. She needed others to be able to do that. So I think in all those situations, we need to make sure that we're part of a community that is constantly bringing ourselves to Jesus and calling others to bring ourselves to Jesus. Now, there's a big question I think is important to have a little bit of a sidebar. Does this mean everyone will always be healed? If Jesus is about bringing wholeness, especially like those who are physically sick, um, does this mean that Jesus is always going to heal? Or he wants to heal, but you just need to have enough faith or pray or, or write certain kind of way in order for that to happen? Well, I don't, we're never guaranteed to be whole, uh, to be healed in all things. In fact, it is certain that we won't be healed in all things until the new heavens and earth. But our deepest hurts, our deepest lacks, our deepest feelings of incompleteness, um, all of that will be made whole. All of that will be healed. I think sometimes we can be too concerned with the surface scratches that uh, we kind of overlook those deep gashes underneath. Um, for example, there's one time where <clears throat> we had a phone and we thought we had some water damage to one of them. And then it was like a week later or a month later or something like that. <clears throat> we dropped the phone and the screen cracked. And we went to go fix the screen um, because like, ah, oh, well, the screen's cracked. At least we'll fix that. But the person who was fixing the phone was like, well, it's no, there's no point in fixing like the screen if like it's actually fundamentally broken. You should probably <laughs> just like maybe upgrade your phone first or something like that. Um, we didn't. We just have dealt with it. But yeah. <laughs> um, but surely it is more important to fix what's on the inside first before we think about all the external things. We can sometimes get fixated on the external things. Like, oh, if I would just be healed of like this physical problem or if this particular situation would just work out, then I'd be okay. And, and completely neglecting and overlooking the fact that our biggest need, our biggest hurts are, have already been met in Jesus. And that's not something that we're waiting for. Right? That has been finished through us. And Jesus is most concerned with fixing the important parts because he loves us more than we love ourselves and he wants us to experience his wholeness. So we should, pr- I'm not saying we shouldn't pray for healing or anything like that, but we should pray for wholeness in all areas of life, especially the deepest parts. Jesus never promises us to heal us from everything, but he always comes through on what matters most. So Jesus is this is the beginning stages of him launching this new kingdom, this new surprising kingdom where the spiritually oppressed and the sick become whole. And we also see in verses 40 through 45, the end of this chapter, um, that Jesus' kingdom is also where outcasts become whole. What's happening here is Jesus is traveling around Galilee. He's teaching with authority, as he does, teaching in a very different way than everyone else has ever taught, and bringing wholeness to people miraculously. And then he encounters a man with leprosy in verse 40. Um, leprosy was just basically a catch-all term for any kind of skin disease. Now, leprosy was different than someone with a fever. This is more than just a physical problem because if you had a leprosy-type ailment, you're basically like separated from people. You, uh, if you were unclean, because you were seen as someone who was unclean. It wasn't that you had an unclean spirit, but that you yourself was were unclean. And this 
So think of that, but then also think like this is a society that's very attuned to what is clean and unclean. Like their whole um, lives from waking to sleeping and even how they organize Monday through, through Sunday, it was basically like what is clean, what is unclean. So to not be clean and to not have any kind of relief from that means you're completely separate. Uh, Leviticus 13 uh, talks about, this is one aspect of what it means to be living with leprosy. It says, anyone with, a defiling, with such a defiling disease must wear torn clothes, let their hair be unkempt, cover the lower part of their face, and cry out, unclean, unclean. As long as they have that disease, they remain unclean. They must live alone. They must live outside the camp. So even if you went to the synagogue as a leper, there had to be some kind of sheet separating you from the rest of the people. This is so that other people wouldn't catch the leprosy. Um, but it was also because of ceremonial uh, cleanliness that we just don't have time to get into today. But basically, if you were a leper, you were an outcast. If you were a leper, you needed physical healing, but, but really, your real problem was you needed relational healing. You needed to be made whole. And it's in this kind of anguish that Jesus sees the man in verse 41, and it says, um, some translations say indignant. In verse 41, when he sees this man, he was indignant. Uh, maybe a better way to translate that, and you might even have a note in your Bible, that says Jesus was filled with compassion. It's probably closer to um, the original meaning and would make sense given what Jesus does in the context. Uh, and then he heals him. So one minute, you're a leper, complete outcast, and that's basically all you've known for, who knows, maybe your entire life, or at least a big chunk of it. And the next, you're someone clean. Someone who's able to participate in the community that you never have before. And here's the interesting thing. The way that Jesus cleaned this person, cleansed this person, healed them, he could have done anyway. Could have used his voice, as he did previously, but he chooses to touch this person. A, a leper was an untouchable. You weren't, I mean, they weren't even allowed to associate with people, let alone be touched by others. The holy confronts the unholy again here. And Jesus' wholeness, again, in the pre like in the previous two stories, wins. It always does. So for everyone who finds themselves oppressed, or sick, diseased, marginalized, outcasted, then we probably all have felt aspects of that. Jesus isn't far away. He's there. He's on the side of the outcast. He isn't on the other side. He doesn't respect cultural barriers. He doesn't respect social barriers. He doesn't even respect our religious barriers that we create for ourselves. Jesus is there bringing himself, not just the idea of something, not just good thoughts, and not even just prayers, although obviously he's praying for us too. He is literally there in his love, and it's more powerful than anything else on earth. So whether spiritually sick, physically sick, or relationally sick, Jesus heals. Whether we lack something spiritual, physical, or relational, Jesus brings his wholeness. Now, though this leper is cured of his disease, Jesus is also pointing to something bigger and better than just a mere physical healing, than just one kind of miracle set off by itself. The reason this story is in the Gospel of Mark isn't just to tell us about some interesting facts about Jesus and his life. It's speaking to us and our lack because we are the spiritually oppressed. We are the poor. We are the outcasts. And the more we understand that, the more we will be able to live out of the healing that Jesus brings because we're in need of it. We're in need of wholeness. And the rescue that Jesus brings, by the way, it's another way of saying salvation is rescue. The salvation, the rescue that Jesus brings surpasses everything else. In Mark, 
Jesus started bringing this new kingdom and it took everyone by surprise. It doesn't seem at this point, no human is getting it. And he is still bringing it today in our life today. It's a process that has begun and is ongoing, but let's not miss it here. Because if Jesus is truly bringing the real rescue that we really need, we would pray often. We would talk to him often. Like the leper, we would beg him often on our knees. We'd be okay to be honest with our diseases and our dysfunctions and our sins because before Jesus, we know that he's going to bring us what we need. If Jesus is truly bringing the real rescue the world needs, we would talk to him often about others who don't know Jesus. We would be in anguish before God asking him to bring wholeness where we see his lack. And if Jesus is truly bringing the real rescue, we would learn more about it. We would orient our lives around it more. We'll sacrifice time sleeping or exercising or sometimes eating if that means that that is the time we get to learn about Jesus' kingdom and learn about who he is. Now, if we aren't in this story each day, what hope do we have to orient ourselves around this wholeness? Where else can this kind of wholeness be found? Nowhere, but we'll shop it around in other places. I mean, every day we are bringing our brokenness with us. So where are we taking it? Are we steeped in the story of the Holy One of God who by His touch, by His word, give us the wholeness that we really need? If we don't see Jesus as the most important, most incredible part of our lives, we are missing it, just like the people in the story. There is such a surprise in Jesus' kingdom that these people missed it. The demons know what's going on, Jesus knows what's going on, but the people are clueless. They're searching after the benefits of the kingdom with kind of not really caring too much about the king himself. And Jesus comes with authority and teaching. Well, what does he demand? Well, it doesn't seem like he demands very much in these stories. He's healing people kind of left and right. But I think one of the reasons, again, that he withdraws in that those middle verses, in verses 35 through 39, It's because as amazing as it is to bring physical healing, supernatural healing, Jesus is still offering more. He tells the leper not to make a big fuss, either uh, because what happened earlier when people found out that Jesus healed people, because he was inundated. He wasn't able to do the thing he wanted to do. He wanted to preach about the kingdom. The house he was staying at just wasn't able to handle all these people just kind of um, wanting to, to steal his time. So Jesus offers more than mere healing in the moment, more than mere comfort. Accepting Jesus' offer may never bring superficial healing or comfort that we need, or that we think we need. Sometimes it's going to give the opposite. It will give us suffering. Jesus tells us that. But let's not miss what Jesus is offering. Let's immerse ourselves in it. Jesus offers a wholeness that surpasses miracles. He offers himself. So we come to Jesus as the oppressed, the sick, and the outcasts, and he makes us clean. In one act, through his death, he destroyed all that was incomplete in us, just like that kind of water purification tablet, just done. And in one act, through his resurrection, he generously gave us the wholeness that we really need. If we trust in Jesus, that's the story that we get to find ourselves in, that kind of pureness, that kind of wholeness, that cleanness. And if you trust in Jesus, that's why we come to this table every week. That's what this table is for. If you don't yet trust in him, this is a chance to think about what it would be like if you did. And if you'd like, you can join him. But thinking about even just kind of bread and wine, uh, how does wholeness apply to that? A very easy metaphor is hunger. Hunger is a lack. It's a lack of what we really need. If you don't get it, you literally die. Um, 
Jesus is enough. Loneliness is a lack. Fear is a lack. Shame is a lack. But Jesus is still enough. And through his body being broken, he gives us the wholeness that we need. And it fills us up. And through the blood that was poured out, he gives us the wholeness that we need. So we may come to him and never thirst again.